and welcome to Business Without with me, Dominic Frisby. And me, Andy Uri. And this podcast is brought to you by Ori Clark. Now, Ori Clark is a rare beast. It is part accountancy firm, part legal practice. And one of its bosses is Andy Ori, my co-host. And Andy was convinced that so many of the firm's clients are doing such varied and interesting things. And he wanted to find a means to share all these interesting stories with a broader audience. And that means is this podcast. Andy, um, tell us, who have we got on the show today? Thanks, Dominic. Uh, we have Sam Collins. Sam Collins heads up Yuki. Um, Yuki is pretty cool. It's it's the one of the two trade bodies I'm aware of in the video games industry. Definitely the cooler one. Uh, and he, he's been in the job uh, ten years, uh, smashing it. I have to say, it's, it's been a pleasure to work with him. Um, He studied a European business degree in Amsterdam, clearly top choice, uh, is number three after Vegas, that's number one I believe. Um, He's been involved in games companies all his life, when we're meeting games we're talking video games here, not gambling. And uh, the most strange or perhaps interesting things about him is he he loves bugs, particularly particularly certain types of bugs, and uh, he keeps a tortoise in his beer fridge, which uh, seems an enormous sacrifice these days. Anyway, Sam, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm going to pick you up on a couple of things. I'm not in charge of UK. I have a wonderful boss called Joe Twist. Um, <laughs> Dr. Joe's in charge. He promoted me. Listen, I'm all, I'm all for self-promotion. Um, yes. So thank you for that. Well, why is Joe not being in touch with me more? You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, Joe, tell us more about Yuki. I mean, it, it, explain to me. You know, let's let's set that as the groundwork because it's a beautiful organisation. Yeah. So Yuki is uh, it stands for United Kingdom Interactive Entertainment with a trade association for video games and interactive entertainment in the UK. And uh, within that, we represent a whole range of businesses. We do the traditional sort of trade association job of helping them grow their business and take advantage of opportunities, keeping them abreast of all of the government regulations. So there's some heavy duty work there, but also a lot of fun. We organise lots of networking and events and get these games companies to work with each other to do a bit of name dropping to give you an idea on the kind of companies we look after. The largest businesses are the Nintendos, Electronic Arts, Sega's, Sony's, Microsoft's, uh, King, Facebook, those kind of companies but all the way down to the, the the really interesting, genuinely interesting small studios making some cracking content. Teams of one or two, maybe they've left university recently and they're making their first game. And our job's to help all of those companies thrive and prosper on, on a big global level. I know that's a particular of yours, of interest, yours, Andrew, looking at overseas businesses, but you know, video games are digital content sold online around the world. So it's all about giving them those opportunities to reach those markets. And I guess, um, given the times, I know they, they really are unprecedented. Um, you know, I think some of the older generations think uh, perhaps perhaps uh, the young needed their back straight, but my God, with the uh, uh, virus and the things. But you don't want to talk in terms of things that are, uh, are good in this situation, but video games are clearly going to be helpful. I mean, I think they've, proved, they've never managed to prove the video games are bad for you, have they? No, the World Health Organization have taken a long look at video games and, and trying to work out whether they, they appeal to sort of addicted personalities and the like. There is an issue around that. Games companies have to be responsible. We want people to play our games. We want them to enjoy them and come back and play them again. You know, we're not creating content that is forcing them away. We're trying to encourage them. 
you've got to do it responsibly. And I think at this time, if we're seeing a lot more people at home, a lot more people with the opportunity to play games, we still need to make sure that they do that responsibly. Sam, where do you stand, Sam, on mobile phone screen time? Because, I mean, I'm I'm pretty convinced my daughter's... I mean, all my kids are bad, but my daughter's, like, hopelessly addicted to her phone. Yeah, I think... Um, and yet you don't hear that talked about in the press too much. Uh, often it comes to, to games to be accused of being the uh, the thing that's attracting consumers, but... I think if you if you look at the stats put out by mobile companies themselves, they'll they'll tell you that the the most popular use of a mobile phone is for social media and networking. It's not for games, although games is still there. In fact, video games are can be all income, so they can be incredibly detailed, amazing storytelling. But they can also be games that you play for forty seconds. If you look at the mobile phone generation, a lot of games are bite sized games. There's amazing publishers out there who specialize in doing games that take no more than 30 or 40 seconds to play. And then if you choose to have another go to improve your score, you can do so. Games offer so much more to so more different consumers. You know, we all consume in a different way. Games can meet all of those consumers' needs. You don't have to spend hours on it. You can spend minutes. You've got that whole choice. And is there no link between games and bad behaviour? Or is there a link? It's hard to say. I mean, there's not been any... Um, confirmed, published link between the two. But games companies do have to be responsible about the content that they put out there. But that's why we have things like age ratings. That's why we have certifications. You know, if a video game is 18, you should not let anyone who's under 18 play that game. You wouldn't let your young people in your family watch 18 certificated films. You know, if there was some content on there that you did not want them to see, you would not let them watch it. Don't let your children play games unless it's the right age rating. And the, the age rating is crystal clear and there's plenty of good information. You go to askaboutgames.com, great information about what the age rating means, who it's applicable for. Um, the industry takes it very responsibly, but we, we need to keep getting that message out there. Um, but the other thing to remember is there's also amazing parental control guidance for things like consoles. And this is where it is important. If you think about if you buy a video game console, where are you going to put that in the house? If it ends up in, in the child's, the young adult's room, you should be spending time to look at your parental control so that you understand what they can access. A lot of the time, they don't know how. It's a good point, actually. It's a good point. So we, we did a campaign recently called the Play Campaign that was fronted by Rio Ferdinand, which has gained a lot of traction. And it's talking about... Uh, it's not just talking about parental controls because we don't just want to say it's parents' responsibility to go find it. That's unfair. What you need to do is make sure that parents understand why parental controls are in place to actually engage with the young people in the house and understand what they're using the devices for. You can't simply say, oh, parental controls are there, go use them. Well, why would you want to understand them? So we're trying to encourage parents and carers to engage with the young people and find out what they're doing with those devices, not just in games, but with, with, with all different devices so that they have a greater understanding. And is this something you're doing because governments have told you to do it or would you be doing it anyway? Well, the industry is very responsible in that respect. We've always run campaigns to promote these messages. But I think given the, the current situation and the increased amount of people playing games, it's a responsible thing to do is to invest more in these campaigns, isn't it? Age ratings have been around forever. And very, very good guidance has been given. But you need to keep pushing the message, don't you? 
Now, I'm presuming you're not just here to defend <laughs> video games against concerned parents. So, Andy, what, <laughs> why don't you ask Sam a question? Well, what I'm getting, what I'm getting to is you're very aware of your responsibility of any industry. And in my opinion, and in my honest opinion, it's probably one of the most beneficial groups of people producing some of the most you know, interesting content. I mean, it was just in Iceland with a woman developing this beautiful video game for women. You know, there's a big movement of women in video games and it's fantastic. I mean, you know, to me, I think the thing that a lot, someone put in my head a few years ago and I really made me step back is how young the video game industry is. And someone said to me, you don't understand. We're at like 1905 in films that we have just about worked out how to make films. Now, imagine this till 50 or 100 years' time. The video game industry is growing in a great way simply because its content and what it is is, 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 you know, you can create virtual universes. I mean, how big an industry do you think this could be, Sam? Do you think this is as big as food? Oh, I don't know. I love my food. Um, <laughs> I think the interesting the interesting thing is the way that games is is permeating and influencing beyond what you imagine as that sort of game culture. You know, games are cultural, they are inclusive, they are for absolutely everyone to enjoy because there's such diverse types of games and content being produced. And uh, also the impact that games is having on other sectors, we're gonna we haven't we've only really scratched the surface on that. Within games, we have some of the the brightest, I mean, in fact, you know, to be a games programmer, you often need a degree in maths and science. Oh, the passion. It's like the music industry. You, you meet people who are fucking geniuses because when you're really fucking clever, money doesn't matter. You need an art form, something that you can completely involve yourself in and can fully take, you know, there's that, I love this story. There's the, there's the, one of those prizes for these math problems. And one of these math problems, this guy solved it million dollars. Couldn't get hold of him three years. It went around his house, banged on the door. He refused to come to the door and they shouted through like, but we've got this million pounds. He was like, I don't care. You know, I'm <laughs> working on the next problem, you know, anyway, sorry. Well, those, those creative people who we always say that games are at the epicenter of, um, technical skills and creativity. It's a wonderful place to be, that combination. And so the people that are making games are, are already having a greater impact on all of these other sectors out there, engineering, pharmaceuticals, you know, motorsport, look at augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever, whatever you want to call it, artificial learning. These things are all coming from the games industry. So as well as having a, a expanding entertainment part for games, we also have game sector influencing all these other industries and, and driving forward some of the, the best thinking there. And the amazing thing, and it's something we should really concentrate a little bit more on, I would suggest, is that the UK is the home of some of the best games makers in the world. You know, we've, we've got this, this long-term historical bedroom coder taking out and, and making some of the best games in the world. This is why so many overseas companies invest in UK games companies, because we are the best. We have that wonderful mixture. We talked about the creativity and the, and the technical skills. We're rebels, you know, that's why we write messed up games because we are. But we wanted to ask the question, is Britain, are we good? Are we really good at this? No, we're, we're amazing. I mean, we are, my, my company, Yuki's objective is to make the UK the best place to make games and to publish and distribute and sell um, and to play. We want our consumers to play in the, in the right environments we've talked about. Um, 
we do have some of the best studios, but there are things that are holding us back. We're not very good at asking for money, which is an interesting... Oh, oh you're meaning, you're meaning our, the, the country's inability to claim the video games tax credit. I'm, I'm also talking about, you know, you're certainly talking about sort of monetization strategies earlier. UK companies are, are, are way behind some of these other markets in that. We probably do it in such a fair way. It's holding some of our companies back. They're not generating quite as much revenue as we would like them to. I think the problem is when I talk to video games companies in this country, they're my favorite people because they're like talking to musicians. They're really sweet people. They, they, they don't, they, they don't love talking about money. I mean, British people don't like talking about money anyway. You know, you're talking about the only people who are comfortable with money, almost China and America. And, you know, maybe a few other countries can talk about it, but so for me, that's partly what's going on there. The Americans will be like, yeah, I need this money, you know, and the British people, I try and talk to them about a tax credit and they get awkward, you know. But certainly when you're talking about investment, you know, pitching your company to get investment, to make it grow, to, to go to the next level. Maybe you're a studio of four or five people and you want to get to that sort of 20 person level. You need investment to do it. And we're not very good at asking for, for money. Americans will be pitching all the time. We're, pitching as they go to school in the morning they'll be you know they'll be talking to anyone about i've got this great idea it's all buzzy and the american culture is to invest in lots of projects and hope that some of them work i i went to private school which is a real single sex it's a nightmare and uh and you come out and you you don't know how to talk to girls but even you know the rest of my life i thought that was just because i went to this stupid experience but then i talked to other people and they're all like oh no we didn't know how to talk to girls either I went, I went to school with girls my whole life and I couldn't talk to them. And I was like, oh, right, okay. That made me feel better. But do you feel like Tinder, the British needed Tinder? We needed Tinder to just not have to do that. But the Americans, they always were good at chatting in the bar and meeting each other and they walk up to strangers. It's, it's almost that same problem, don't you feel? We need Tinder, Tinder for raising money here. Do you know what I mean? Investors well, and... Well, if you go to a... If you go to a trade show in America, when you're queuing up to get in, there'll be people pitching their games and ideas to oh, everyone. In the queue, that's you know. so annoying, and, though. Well, that's not brilliant. It's not we brilliant. Don't like that's, that. why, well, that's why we're the ones at the back going, well, we'll just wait our turn to get into the building. No, but that's what I said. We need an app. We need a system that works for us because it's not like we don't need it. We just, we don't like to talk about money and God's people say, go have your money. We, you know, Americans, Jesus, you know, they're on that. Well, we're, we're safely relying on the fact that we're the best at making games and we want people to come and, and look at that. And actually, I think if you look at the tops of the 30 or 40 UK businesses, most of them have managed to attract funding from overseas to, to help them grow. It was funny. I, I work in um, uh, voiceovers and, uh, and I used to get loads of video games in the 90s in, in this country. And then... It might just be because of changed agents, but I don't think there's as much work for voices in video games as, uh, uh, now as there was back then. It was a real kind of golden age, and it was really well paid back then as well. I don't know. If a, there are BAFTA awards. You've, you've seen the BAFTA awards for video games. There are voiceover awards every year, and you see some of the people that have won BAFTAs for, I mean, incredible Hollywood superstars, famous British people winning BAFTAs for their contribution to voiceover in video games. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just not... Maybe I need to have a word with my agent. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me ask you about, like, you know, obviously we're talking in the midst of the coronavirus at the moment and it's decimated, you know, the global economy and the local economy and so on. But one thing, like, my kids 
are playing even more video games than ever while on lockdown. And I imagine that, that you know, one of the few things that's going to benefit from this is, is, is video game stocks. So have they actually, do you know if they've actually been rising in the crisis where everything else has been falling? So it's funny. I think there's a there's a certain amount of um, a short term boost. I think will come to the games industry. I've not seen any stats on it yet. You know, putting stats out is kind of the low down people's priorities at the moment. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think we will see a short term impact of that. But um, you're assuming that games are just for entertainment. You know, there's so many. If you if you look at our site and look at other sites out there, an awful lot of content out there about how you can use interactive content and game content. Now, for interactive entertainment, not just video games. Um, great learning tools for young people as well. So we run a program called Digital Schoolhouse, which um, is supported by uh, the industry and also with some government support as well. And it's a, it's a way of teaching digital literacy for young people. It's not about teaching games coding. It's about teaching digital literacy. Uh, learning through some game mechanics, and interactive digital means of learning is, is going to help everyone in the future. We're preparing digital citizens. Um, and you'll see lots of resources published by them. What's a digital citizen? Well, the economy of the future is going to be reliant on how digitally minded and digitally literate its citizens are. So are we ready for coping with all of the new technologies that are coming through? And uh, programmes like the Digital Schoolhouse helps. We're talking... Uh, 12 to 14 year olds here, whether it's taking their options, getting them thinking about all of these digital capabilities and things they need to be aware of. So um, digital lesson plans, games for good, these are all important things at the moment. So our key requirement at the moment, if people are, are sitting at home playing more games, is to make sure that they get that diversity of games. You know, traditionally, esports was viewed as being uh, people sitting at home by themselves and playing games with people around the world that they didn't know. Uh, it's changed so much in the last 10 years, esports. Now, it's like last week, it must be the only sport available now. Well, the biggest viewing ever numbers for an esport event took place last week. We're seeing biggest viewers on, on Sky channels at the moment, a broadcast of esports events. These are people watching other people play games. You know, these esport players are becoming the, the rock stars and the, the, the football superstars of the future. Um, it's, an amazing way of engaging with your friends. So at the moment, my son's probably sitting upstairs playing FIFA and he's probably playing with six of his friends and they're all controlling one character each in the game and they're chatting like mad as they play this game. The game itself is important to them and they're enjoying it. But actually, the social interaction that you can get through games is incredible. And, and so long as when we've got people at home, they are taking that opportunity to engage with their friends and play with each other. I think that's something to be applauded how we can bring people together and bring those communities together so i'm keen to, i'm keen to, sh to stress that as long as we do it in the right way dominic so get your kids playing the right content and engage yeah them. it's interesting the way uh, you're passionately keen on, on on making clear you know to me i'm not critical of the video games industry they've they see nothing but beautiful people doing beautiful things you know um, like most of the music industry, I'm sure there's some wankers in there somewhere, but mostly we're just trying to produce things to make people happy, you know? The, the games industry has not been around for all that long and it's grown so quickly. If you, but, but now it is a legitimate, serious industry generating billions of GVA for the, sorry, gross value added for the UK economy. This is an enormous growth market globally and particularly in the UK. If we don't do it responsibly and grow it in the right way, 
you know, it's, hard, it's, just, it's just a moral responsibility to do that, isn't it? This, this sector is bigger than most of the other entertainment industries out there now. How um, big is it in the UK? Where is it in the like, largest industries in the UK? I'm going to Google if you don't know. Well, if you look at creative industries, the biggest game will generate more in sales in its first weekend than any film that comes out. And yet, you know, film stars are still talked about and record releases. There's a company called the Entertainment Retailers Association that show consumer spend on games product compared to other channels. And they're top 20 every year in terms of revenue spend. Games are 18 of the top 20 products in there. Um, you know, Adele was the only one that can compete with games in the last five years from the music industry when she believed to bring the record out. And growing at, and growing at an exponential rate because they, I'm, I'm sorry to say it because I love TV. Yeah. TV, I mean, Columbo, you know, that's it. That's all I needed in my life. But <laughs> it's over, man. It's over this relationship. And I, I've now bought an Oculus Quest because uh, an Icelandic right. company yeah, yeah. showed me yeah. them. And if you, have, if you don't know what this is, and you're thinking VR, blah blah blah. You don't need anything. You don't need you don't need any other equipment. It's plugged into anything. There's no sensors. There's no wires. You put it on your head, turn it on, and you can meet Darth Vader and hang out with him. It's it's mind blowing. I have to is say, that I you did want, a game is, is that your objective, Andrew? Have you always wanted to be Darth Vader? Is that it? Are we seeing the? No, well, I don't. He comes up to you. You do the boxing, and they walk right up to you. Listen, <laughs> and like you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, I always end up hitting my wife in the kitchen, which I've mapped out as being a safe zone, but then she starts cooking. Anyway, I feel it's a game changer, that piece of equipment. Do you? Is that, is that, is that in the industry? Is that big news or I'm just yeah, in mean, the little world? No, no, you're, you're right. The, the, the challenge is always getting enough people to see the high quality content. So when VR had its sort of resurgence again a couple of years ago, there was a lot of pretty poor quality mobile VR experiences with cardboard that frankly didn't showcase what the technology could do. We needed more people to look at the kind of experiences that you're talking about. Um, the bar- there's still barriers to that. You know, it's, it's not the cheap, cheapest thing to buy a decent... Charge Oculus Quest. There's not many barriers in that. You put it on, you turn it on, you press the button, and then I'm playing tennis with giants, you know, and it feels... I, I get like, that, but you've got to buy the kit as well, haven't you, to do it? So... No. I guess it just feels so simple. It's five hundred pounds, you know. I'm, set, I'm trying to sell it, but you know, it, I think for five hundred pounds, and, and a, a person says something very important to me. They said the thing is with uh, VR, you know, virtual reality, you don't do it for a long time. It's true, you don't do it for a long time. You put it on for twenty minutes, half an hour, and it's so amazing. You're like, you come out like, oh my gosh, you know. So. And that's, and that's affecting so many other industries as well, though. You know, you're hearing about people learning how to fly planes and fly helicopters and drive cars using VR, doing, doing operations using VR. These are perfect training tools for sectors. And most of that content is coming from people in the games industry making it in the first place because we understand how the technology works. Is that still your industry, though? I mean, if they do it in surgeons, does that not become another thing? Well, it's a different industry, but where are they getting the skilled people from? Sure. They're sure. coming from, from our sector where we know how to deal with consumers and, and players alike so that they get the best out of the experience. And that's what, that's what Games is bringing to all of these other sectors that I referenced, that I referenced earlier. Um, but VR is only one future. You know, the, the, interesting, we talk about um, you know, TV and, and production. There's been a... a a stark move in TV towards high-quality production. High-quality production of TV still has a lot of value. We've already been there in games for the last few years. If you see some of these incredible 
high quality story driven games that you can play. They are they are totally immersive and enjoyable and beautiful and culturally resonant. You know, games is not just about kicking a football or shooting a gun or driving a car. That's very much old games. Still relevant. It's still important. But the diversity of games is absolutely incredible. And, and, and look, we've got the, um, the BAFTA Games Awards coming up um, in a couple of weeks' time. And that celebrates the high-quality output for games all around the world. It's going to be live-streamed because you can't get together at the moment. It was due to be a big event in central London. Have a look at that and see how you know, sectors are looking at that. Key people in the industry are evaluating which are the most worthy games to, to receive that very prestigious award. Have a look at it. You'll be amazed by the content that's being produced. Absolutely amazed. I'm just going to wanted to change the subject slightly, Sam. And, you know, I've got a 13-year-old boy and a 19-year-old boy. What games would you recommend me to get them playing that, one, keep them entertained, and two, actually teach them something? I guess it depends what you want them to what you want them to learn, actually. Um, you know, it's, it's every 13-year-old and 19-year-old are very different, but are there jobs that they're looking at? Are there skills that they want to develop over a period of time? There's no doubt that games can feed into that with the right kind of content. Um, games, you know, for, for a younger age, perhaps, very, very educational, some of the content that you can, that you can bring together uh, in a game, learn about a particular subject. It, it's, a, it's a really interesting example, actually. Um, I can only really talk about my own experience, but I have a son a similar age to, to yours who is studying classical civilizations, so a niche part of history at A-level. And uh, he's played a game called Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is about the journey through ancient Greece. And he has learned so much through playing that game because they've taken it seriously in terms of looking at the historical and mythical characters, the ways that you can go through that you, if you walk them today, they look like what the video game is offering you, but in full glory of what they would have looked like all those years ago. So it's really bringing that experience to life by taking your character, exploring, trading, getting on the sea and going through all the different oceans and meeting all these, all these characters. It's an absolutely incredible experience. And if you look at the curriculum for teaching that subject, it's on the curriculum. You know, games content is appearing on the national curriculum so that young people can learn specialist knowledge through certain games. So, but it does depend on what they're particularly interested in. All righty. Um, did you have anything, Sam, that you wanted to say when you came on the podcast before we started bombarding you with questions? Was there a Yeah, I didn't think I was going to be bombarded. Out? I was told this was going to be a nice, fluffy, light conversation. <laughs> uh, but it is important, uh, you know, and, and Andrew, you were, you were right that we, we're very passionate about our industry and want to, to do the right things. Um, I think there needs to be more celebration of how good the UK is at making interactive entertainment. What are we particularly good at, though? You know, we've always got, you've always got a, there's always an angle on these things. You know, are we, are we, we were at the funniest games or? Well, people often talk about the British sense of humour, but that doesn't always travel around the world. So we might love the, uh, the, uh, the, the jokey content of some of our games. Actually, I mean, let's look at one particular genre. If we look at driving games, mm. so they've been around for a long time. And people love driving games, some of the biggest games in the world. If you um, look at a place called Leamington Spa, a little old Leamington Spa, um, 
it, it's funny enough, Leamington Spa is the place that if you stop someone in the street and ask what job they do, you are more yeah. likely as a percentage to get them to say, oh, I work for the video game industry than anywhere else in the UK. It's the highest percentage of um, per sector by local employees. They've got some studios there, um, playground games. They have Codemasters there. They have Sumo there. They have um, Sega actually have a studio there. They make Sonic games in Leamington Spa. You'd imagine that Sonic, the Hedgehog games, will be made in Japan. No, they're made in Leamington Spa in the UK. But looking at driving, in Playground and Codemasters, you have the two best studios in the world making driving games, and they're 10 miles apart in this sleep <laughs> in the UK. Uh, we are so good at making certain types of, of content in the UK, and it travels globally. Those games that they produce, the Formula One games, the Forza Motorsports, they are sold all around the world and enjoyed by consumers all the way around the world. Incredible, incredible stories. And some of the best mobile games for, for driving are made in the UK as well. People like Hutch Games in London that you might know, Andrew, an amazing studio making Hot Wheels games and Formula One games, just incredible. So people, when they've got these enormous intellectual properties and these big brands, they make them in the UK. I mean, Batman's made in the UK. You imagine Batman will be made in America. Batman games are made in London. It's oh, incredible. I love that. Incredible. You know, it's funny, Formula One on motorsport is such, because if you're not aware or you are aware, Motorsport Valley, of course, you know, we're, I think it's four out of the six large, you know, uh, motorsport uh, Formula One clubs are in the UK within a yeah. sort of yeah. uh, triangle. You know, funny thing, we were both supposed to go, well, I was supposed to go, but my uh, fellow fellow uh, partners, um, Amy and Simon, were supposed to go to GDC, the, the, the biggest yeah, conference yeah. for video games in the world, San Francisco. And they cancelled it due to the uh, virus. I was surprised that they didn't cancel it and announce that in six months they would launch the VR version, do the first proper build the game. You know, build the game. You put the headset on and you go. You go to go to virtual GDC. Yeah. I think you. I think you have to think about the the way that shows are run in America. Dare I say it? So the organizer of of GDC takes over the whole of San Francisco. Every hotel is booked out to people that go all of the pubs and clubs and restaurants, they're all booked out by games companies. It's an enormous income driver for the city of San Francisco. Um, you pay a lot of money to have a stand there. They have a big expo there. Uh, I know how much we pay for our UK stand there. So we take about 50 UK companies out with us to promote their wares to a global audience in San Francisco. It's, it was due to be on this week, wasn't it? It's just yeah. Yeah, in, in, incredible place, incredible gathering of people, but investors, platforms, publishers, journalists they're all there to look at content um uk companies actually on our stand a year ago did 40 million pounds worth of business so that's exports from uk companies to overseas in three days at gdc so you know and that's the that's the lifeblood of these studios helping them go for another couple of years with these amazing deals that they ask for some money yeah but what better place to do it where all the investors are located so um it's not in their interest to do a virtual festival to answer your question. There's too much money in getting all the, the people into one location and making it work. It's such a good answer to the question, isn't it? But I wonder whether someone will launch it now. I mean, it's the logical thing to do. What's the relationship between you and the gambling? Because often it's people say gaming and there's this sort of confusion about it. And it's like gambling industry basically does what you, but money is involved and the ethics of much more complicated. Um, I think if you look at, so if you look at um, a gambling firm's uh, website and they've got what they call games on it, um, they're terrible games. I mean, they're just, they're not, they're not 
fun and interactive and experiential like our games, but they are games of chance. Whereas if you play a video game, let's say you and I were to play a game now, uh, Andy, if you were better than me at the game, you would beat me nine times out of 10 because video games are a game of skill and not a game of chance. And skill element moves it far away from, from what gambling offers. It's a very distinct thing. But we talk to the Gambling Commission all the time just to make sure that we're aware of what the boundaries are. But the law is very clear on the difference between the two, and we don't do gambling. But you can't, I can't come as a gambling company to GDC if I make great games. Do they need come? Well, interestingly, if you were a gambling firm and you wanted to make a game, you would find a decent game studio to try and make that game for you. So you may, uh, you may well come and, and give some business to a game studio specifically for that purpose. But I, honestly, if you look at the games that they've got online, slots machines, you know, plastic horse racing, there's no, there's, there's no skill in making those games, to be honest. What's the vibe in the video game industry? Because I guess you are protected somewhat from the events going on right now. I don't think so. I think um, uh, there's... 20,000 full-time employees in the video game industry uh, and 20,000 ancillary, so PR, marketing, event organising, retailers. Uh, and we have f- about 4,000 freelancers. Those individuals are not protected, are they? I mean, if, if there's a downturn, people feel more cautious about making investments. If people start cancelling... making investments, that's true. In video you know, games, do you feel? I, I think we're... We, we, it's difficult to tell. We've got a survey out at the moment. About 150 companies have come back with feedback. There's a, there's a, really, there's a couple of immediate impacts. So firstly, if you've got 100 people making a game and they all have to work together, how do you continue to work together if they can't sit in the same office? So they all work remotely. It's quite complicated to get 100 people working on one game project together remotely it's a lot of kit it's a lot that's of great I, that's fascinating because all the businesses i'm dealing with are old school or you know bi- you know the ones who are struggling with this and discussing it um but i would expect the video games industry to work beautifully online but you're saying it is it is an impact to suddenly well i'm saying i'm saying it's a change it, in, in fact they can cope with it but it's that that change of having to do it because um, the other th- thing to remember is we don't want 100 people working remotely on the same project. You don't get any human re- interaction. You know, video game people are, are like any other humans, social, social people. We want to bring them together. We want to collaborate. We want to talk face-to-face. We want to get things done. We're creative. Creative people aren't always the best by themselves. You need to get them in a room with everyone else. So we've got the interesting challenge of trying to keep that creativity going, working remotely uh, with security. And, and data breaches, you've got to be careful of that kind of stuff. People perhaps trying to interfere with it. So all the cybersecurity of your, your big game development is important. Um, in terms of the market, we are going to see a short-term boost, I think. But if a recession comes, everything is affected by the recession. And who knows how games are going to cope through that. I suppose the one thing I would say is when we've had downturns before, um, it's the going out entertainment that is hit more than the staying in entertainment. So, you know, going to the cinema and spending £40 or whatever on, on a couple of people, going bowling, going out, going shopping, these kinds of things tend to reduce in recessions. And video game playing is a cheaper, more networked, connected environment. And so we tend to be a little bit more resistant. But I think every sector is going to find some difficulties. 
The really weird thing is the announcement is for for Falau. Falau is this American word. It means like on the bench. It means garden. It means, but the, the thing that pissing everyone off that I'm talking to is it's 80% guarantee for your wage if you cannot work. So that makes sense if you close a shop or something. But let's say yeah, yeah. We, we have a downturn in the video game industries saying, I, I don't need these 10 people. I only need eight of them. So what it could do is agree that they all cut their salaries by 80% and then have to all sign up to that and it's a bit complicated. Or they can take two people and falou, falou, I see, honestly, that word's driving me mad, but F-U-R-L-O-U-G-H, Fuller. Anyway, put them on the side, but they cannot work. Now, that seems rather bizarre in video games industry. You're going to be sending them home to play video games, to, I don't know, to commit research or something. But, I mean, have you, have you got to this sort of level of conversation now, this sort of difficult balance that companies are going to have to make, that if there's a shortfall, they've got to send them home to not work? Well, no, they'll still be working, but they might be working on different projects. So I think at the moment, you know, if you if you had a studio where uh, 20 people were full-time and you had a couple of freelancers, you might let the freelancers go, but still yes, work on other projects, you know. And, and the four of us on this call, the two of us here, could actually sit here, come up with an idea of a game and start making it. The tools are out there. The barriers are pretty low. We could start making a mobile game this evening if we had a great idea. You know, there's nothing stopping us doing it. Really, I can't code, but I can make video games. There are plenty of tools out there. Unity, Unreal is a little bit more um, highbrow, but there's plenty of tools out there that you can use to make content. You know, you need a certain amount of skill and creativity and bringing it together and project management, but nothing's stopping us making a game. Would it be any good, Andy? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> no, it would be shit. <laughs> no, I think my input would be amazing, but I'd be doubting yours if, I, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> I'm going to draw this conversation to a close. Um, Sam, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. As we close, why don't you give out, uh, tell us how we can find you on social media, how we can learn more about your company and so on. I would uh, direct you to find out more about the games industry to the UK website, www.ukie.org.uk. Uh, and if you're interested in learning about safe and sensible gameplay, which you should be, uh, go to the Ask About Games website. So that's uh, askaboutgames.com. Amazing information on there and safe and sensible gameplay, talking about the, the need to take regular breaks and good games for all age content. So go and have a look at that. That would be my advice. All right. Well, great stuff, Sam. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with another show just as soon as. From me, Dominic Frisbee, and from Andy Ori, it's goodbye. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Ori and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without Thank you.